Well, it's a beautiful Sabbath day, and um, it's nice to be here, and I uh, feel welcome already, and thank you for that. Um, I am going to tell you a little bit about myself, but before that, um, I have been trying to, when I go do speaking um, engagements, to, to give a little bit of news about the conference, um, because sometimes the churches are far enough away that they kind of feel detached a little bit. Does that sometimes happen? So... Um, I'll give you just a little bit of news of what's going on. I think you guys need to be aware of. Um, There have been several evangelistic series that have been run, and uh, successfully, I would say, and um, just keep evangelism in general in your prayers um, as we continue to to grow and get the word out to Wisconsin. Um, On on the education uh, front, there's a lot of exciting news. You probably have heard that our schools are growing. You know, all of a sudden, Wisconsin Academy is, uh, has got, do you know how many students they have now? Uh, 134 at last count. And those of you that have kept track of attendance, that's up quite a bit from last year, right? So they are kind of busting at their seams a little bit. In fact, my understanding is that uh, in the girls' dorm, some of the girls, several of the girls, are having to be three to a room, which you know, you might start to see that that could be a problem. The real problem is the mirror. There's only one mirror for, for six, six girls. And, yeah, so it can get a little ugly. But, um, but they're making it work. And the plan is to com- complete some rooms that have been uh, sort of shelled in down, I think, in the base. Isn't it the base, but I think? And so they are working to do that. And money is needed for that. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about something that I think is very exciting. There's a committee that has been formed uh, some time ago to promote industries for Wisconsin Academy. Have you heard uh, some news about that at all? Um, Let me give you a little news of what they're trying to do. Um, they um, They have plans to put a thrift store in by the Academy. And actually, uh, they did some, some demographic studies that indicated that that was one of the biggest needs for that area, was a thrift store. So isn't that amazing how God already knew that? We need a thrift store there. So that, that is um, the old Harris Pine Mills. That is their plan. So we're working on making that happen. Uh, but there's other plans afoot. Uh, there is a, uh, an industry where they bundle clothes. Now, I had never heard of this before. But they take old clothes and they take the zippers out and they pull off the buttons, and they bundle them all up, and they can sell them. And we, you know, we have a buyer for these clothes. And do you know what they do with these clothes? They make mattresses out of them. Okay, so you could be sleeping on a bunch of old clothes. But I don't want to think about that, but you can. Uh, there is um, some thinking of doing a vegetable farm there, um, and there are uh, some greenhouse plans going on, too. One greenhouse would be more of a retail kind of a attraction area, but then another greenhouse would be for actually growing things. And, and so all of these industries, all these different things are being planned and coming together. They need your prayers. Um, they probably could use your help if you have that to give. I think the real great thing about this is it's sort of that fishing rod versus fish analogy, okay? If we get these industries up and going, We won't have to stand up here and pound on the pulpit to get you to support Wisconsin Academy. It will start to support itself. 
I hope you see that. The other advantage is that it's going to provide employment opportunities for our kids. And that's awesome, right? I mean, that's part of their education. Um, I think the other real advantage is it could be an outreach opportunity in that community. And the person that um, is sort of heading up the Wisconsin um, industries, I met with him just two days ago, and he has a real heart for that, for reaching out to the community. So keep him in prayer and keep all of this in prayer, okay? Um, Let me now tell you a little bit about myself, because I'm new. Uh, In fact, I bring greetings from parts west, because I come from California, that's my home state, uh, northern California, little town of Chico is where my dad uh, still resides, and um, I went to the schools, Adventist school, Rio Lindo Academy, nod your head if you know any of these, a thumb up, oh good, Uh, Pacific Union College, yeah, and oh good, and Walla Walla, I actually graduated from Walla Walla, oh good, I'm touching some lives here, I like that, and um, and actually a little bit of a, a detour during college, I went to school in France, okay, for one year at Colonge. Est-ce qu'il y a quelqu'un ici qui parle français aussi bien que moi? No? All right. Never mind. But then after that, uh, I went to Boise, okay? My wife and I moved up to Boise, and um, that's kind of a long story, but it might be appropriate for me to tell you here, it's a little bit of a confession, I am not an ordained minister, okay? Um, Thank you. I, I, I know it's okay. I come from the business world. And this is breaking the norm a little bit for the conference to hire somebody uh, that doesn't have their uh, ministerial degree. Uh, Because normally the position that I hold is sort of a... hmm, How do I say this? Well, it's a really wonderful place for people that are tired of being pastors to kind of move into and be pastors now or not really be pastors. But um, I have a business degree and I've spent years in the... Uh, retail and wholesale mortgage industry, don't hate me for that, and also in healthcare. Uh, I worked in our Adventist uh, healthcare system in Denver for several years, lived in Denver for 19 years, so don't hate me for the fact that I'm a Denver Broncos fan, okay? Okay, I'm sorry. I like the Packers second best. Um, but I do have a heart for ministry, because even though I, and you know, hopefully this will inspire some of you out there that aren't ordained ministers, you can still be a minister. And you can still stand up here and do this if you want to. Um, God has opened this door for me, and I'm very grateful for that. My job is um, I'm the director of trust services and planned giving, and you probably know what that means, and stewardship and religious liberty, and I have some corporate responsibilities. Um, I'm really here, and my sermon is going to be about stewardship, okay? But... I'm not a real trained pastor, so that means I get a little nervous. So I've carefully come up with some strategies for alleviating that nervousness. One of them is you're supposed to tell a joke when you first start out. It's kind of an icebreaker, and it takes away the nerves. So I have a joke for you. Is anybody here 90 years old or above? Oh, good. Then you won't be offended by this joke. There were three sisters that lived together, 92, 94, and 96, living in a house together, and one night the 96-year-old draws a bath upstairs, and she puts her foot in and pauses, and she yells down the stairs, was I getting in or out of the bath? Well, her her 94-year-old sister, the middle sister, was downstairs. She shakes her head a little bit. She yells up the stairs. She goes, I'm going to come up and help you, and she starts up the stairs, and she gets about halfway up the stairs, and she stops. 
And she goes, was I going up the stairs or down the stairs? Well, the, the, the youngster, the 92-year-old, is sitting at the kitchen table, and she is really shaking her head. And she just, and she goes, you know, I sure hope I never get that forgetful. And just for good measure, she knocks on the wooden table. And she yells on up the stairs. And she goes, I'm going to come up and help both of you as soon as I answer the door. <laughs> so, yeah. Let's really just pray that Jesus will come before any of us get to 92, 94, 97. But um, the other thing I do to, um, to kind of alleviate the nerves is I, I like to sing a song. Is that, if that's okay, I'm going to grab my guitar and I'm going to sing a song. And then I promise I'm going to really talk, okay? pick is gone. I'm doing the sans pick. Sweet Jesus, my Savior, you are my faithful friend. You made me, you know me, you've seen my every sin, and my soul is amazed by this gift of your grace, and these arms that take me in, sweet Jesus, my Savior, you are my faithful friend. Jesus, my shelter, you are my faithful friend, the refuge that I run to when my world comes closing in. Why should I be afraid when I know I am saved by the arms that take me in? Sweet Jesus, my shelter, you are my faithful friend.
technically challenged. So much for that making me not nervous, huh? <laughs> you know, I remember as a child, and maybe you can too, how thrilled I was when either a parent or a teacher made this announcement. Today, we're going to have a treasure hunt. Does anybody remember that? Well, you know, for me, this meant that it could end up being a wonderfully simple, quickly rewarding hunt or a deliciously complicated, tantalizingly mysterious hunt. In fact, if I ponder the notion of a treasure hunt, it quickly conjures up images from Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island. This is a book I checked out from the local library when I was a little kid, and I consumed it. Images of loudmouthed parrots and swashbuckling, bloodthirsty pirates, drunk on bottles of rum and intoxicated with dreams of buried treasure. So today, and please try to contain your excitement, we are going to have a treasure hunt. So where is this treasure? Well, open your Bibles to Luke 12.34. Luke 12.34. I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version. Give you just a minute. I love to hear those pages rustling. Luke 12:34. You know this text. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, like any good treasure hunter, let's take just a moment to analyze this clue. It sounds to me like the scripture is saying: if you want to find your treasure, first locate your heart. That's where your treasure is going to be. But you see, it, it goes the other way too. If you want to find where your heart really is, look and see it, it, what it is that you are really treasuring in your life. You see, it's like a bilateral equation, isn't it? Treasure equals heart. Heart equals treasure. And X marks the spot. And maybe, just maybe, this is why so many people have such a hard time surrendering their lives to Jesus, their hearts to Jesus. They want to. They say all the right words in their prayers. But ultimately, they are frustrated and betrayed by the truth of this mathematical equation. Heart equals treasure. Treasure equals heart. And X marks the spot. In your Bibles, flip back a couple of books and find Matthew 19. And in that chapter is another story that we all know, okay? We all know the story of the rich young ruler right there in Matthew 19. But like a lot of biblical stories, there are truths below the surface, just like buried treasure, okay? As you kind of are finding that story and you're looking through that. You know, I don't believe that Jesus was really asking for the rich young ruler to surrender all of his worldly accumulations. No. Ultimately, what was he asking the young Man to surrender. His heart. That's right. But what did Jesus know? He knew that the man's heart was all wrapped up in his stuff. The Message Bible translates Matthew 19.22 this way. Crestfallen, he, the young man, walked away. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and he couldn't bear to let go. Hmm. You know... Don't we generally refer to this man as the rich young ruler? That's, that's 
we find this story and go, yeah, the story of the rich young ruler, right? Why do we call him the rich young ruler? Why don't we call him the foolish young ruler? You know, if his walking away constituted a lifetime rejection of Jesus and his kingdom, and we see him on the outside of the new Jerusalem, will we consider him to be rich then? Will we think of him as particularly smart then? Will any of you want to trade places with him? Well, let's get back to our treasure hunt, okay? Usually, in the treasure island genre of stories, those of you that admit to reading this book, there was one pirate who stood out as the really diabolical character, right? I mean, he was the one who knew all about the treasure. Oh, yeah. He knew where it was buried, and, of course, he didn't want any of the others to find it. Oh, he was murderous and sneaky and had no heart at all. Well, who does that remind us of? That sounds like a pretty good description of Satan, doesn't it? Satan, the evil pirate. Hmm. Anyway, this ultra-bad pirate would do everything he could to keep would-be treasure hunters from even getting in the hunt. Yeah, if they were continually drunk on rum, for instance, they posed little threat to ever finding the buried treasure. Well, there's a parallel here. There's a definite parallel. Satan doesn't really have to worry about us finding the treasure when we're distracted with our own selfish needs. Instead of being drunk on rum like those swashbuckling pirates, we're drunk on self. We're not even in the hunt. We're neutralized. Sadly, and this is really sad, we often have a very false perception of our own condition, don't we? This is what we're likely to say. Why do I need to go hunt for buried treasure? Look at me. I got everything I need. What does God say about that attitude? Revelation 3.17 has a pretty good response for this self-absorbed spiritual arrogance. You know this text. You say I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. That's your real condition, but you think you got it all. So you're not hunting for the treasure. You know, maybe the problem is that even though we totally are ready to hunt for that priceless treasure, we're ready. Okay? We got our flashlights, we got all the gear, we have the wrong treasure map. Does that ever happen? The, the enthusiasm and commitment is there, but we're looking in the wrong place. Well, this was another common occurrence in Treasure Island. The crafty and evil pirate, that guy, he would give all the other pirates the wrong map, right? So the duped buccaneers would follow the instructions carefully, mark off all the right number of paces from the coconut palm tree, right? Get their shovel out and dig and dig and, yeah, we're going to be rich, clunk. They'd find a box, they'd pull it up. What would be in the box? Sand the bones of another duped pirate, rotting. Mm-hmm. Question for you. Why do we let that crafty old evil pirate Satan pawn off on us the wrong map? Well, you could ask, how do we do this? How do we do that? Well, for one thing, Satan distorts the truth about heaven. Okay, stop and think about this for a second. For most people, heaven has become more a cartoon than a reality. Many sophisticated and educated people, like you, 
can barely stifle a yawn when they contemplate a heaven that has been widely represented as floating on a cloud and strumming a harp. Does that sound like fun to you? But that's what most people think when they think about heaven. That's Satan's doing, isn't it? That's that evil pirate. He wants to give you the wrong map. If he can get you thinking that heaven isn't that great, you're not going to hunt for it, for that treasure anymore, are you? In Billy Joel's popular song from the 70s, and I won't ask anybody to say if they remember this, but the song is Only the Good Die Young, you will find these lyrics. They say there's a heaven for those who will wait. Some say it's better, but I say it ain't. I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. You know, only the good die young. That message is getting out there. And it's not just in music, right? This not-so-subtle message, you know, add to that the scores of television programs and movies that trivialize heaven. And it's no wonder that so many people today are deceived into believing that eternal life, as represented by heaven, isn't really that much of a reward. You know, my parents have a a friend in California that's an atheist, which is something that just boggles my mind, how somebody could choose to be an atheist. I mean, even if you're not sure, you know, I'm not sure. I'm going to choose atheism. Well, if you're not sure, why don't you choose the chance of eternal life? But no, 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 he, you know, he doesn't think heaven's that great. He th- and he's in, even told my parents, I just think there's something very blissful and peaceful about being asleep forever. Wow. Hmm. Several years ago, a whimsical movie titled Heaven Can Wait told the far-fetched and theologically flawed story of an NFL quarterback that as a result of some bureaucratic error by his guardian angel, is whisked up to heaven following an accident. Okay? But he he doesn't want to be in heaven. So for the remainder of the movie, he stubbornly negotiates with Mr. Jordan, who clearly represents God, to be allowed to return to earth, albeit in a different body, since his had already been cremated before they discovered the mistake. And all of this so he could play in the Super Bowl. Now, I want you to contrast this sentiment, this value, with the words of Ellen White, who at the age of 17 was given her first vision, which involves scenes of heaven. And reading from early writings, page 20, these are her words after she was, you know, the vision was over. This is what she said. Then an angel bore me gently down to this dark world. Sometimes I think I can stay here no longer. All things of earth look dreary, so dreary. I feel very lonely here, for I have seen a better land. Oh, that I had wings like a dove. Then would I fly away and be at rest. After I came out of vision, everything looked changed. A gloom was spread over all that I beheld. Oh, how dark this world looked to me. I wept when I found myself here and felt homesick. This was one vision Now, this sounds like someone who has the right map. This sounds like someone who knows where X is. Her treasure wasn't the Super Bowl or anything on this earth. X marks the spot where her treasure and her heart could be found. Now, I wish I could say that the the enemy, that evil pirate, is satisfied with essentially making a parody of heaven. He isn't. No, he's got another strategy too. And it's ingenious. He makes heaven look 
blah and boring. And what does he do next? He makes the earth look wonderful. Right? What a great strategy. Yeah, this is the knockout punch. This completely deceptive and utterly ruthless campaign has been going on for centuries. The embellishment of the earth and its attributes. And the success of this strategy can be clearly seen throughout history. For example, look through your Bible. We can see it as Lot's wife disobediently turns her head, her eyes magnetically drawn back to the sin-riddled city of Sodom where her treasure and heart still remain. We can see Satan's temporary victory in Nebuchadnezzar's boastful rant about the power and wealth of my kingdom in Daniel 4 before God's judgment eventually produces humility and priority. We see it, of course, in the rich young ruler that we just glanced at. He's, think about this, okay? He is walking away from the pearl of great price that is standing right in front of him. Thinking that he can't let go of what? He's clutching on to the possessions of a lost world while eternity is right in front of him. And we see it today in modern society's mad preoccupation with image, fashion, and status. The now familiar bumper sticker which reads, He who dies with the most toys wins has truly become the credo of our age. Proverbs 15, 16 counsels us, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and the turmoil with it. It is a testament to the matchless craft and guile of the enemy that countless deceived people are in essence signing their names to the most lopsided contract imaginable. Are there business people here? So, yeah, realtors or whatever, you deal with contracts, and there's, there's a quid pro quo. There's consideration given, right? Down through history, there have been some seriously boneheaded deals, right? We remember Esau's bargain with his brother Jacob, a bowl of stew, a bowl of stew for his birthright blessing. Clearly, that has prominent place in the Hall of Fame. On a much more trivial vein, in 1989, sorry to bring football back into it, but it is football season, the Dallas Cowboys and Minnesota Vikings were involved in the largest player trade in the history of the NFL. Herschel Walker, who was the centerpiece of this trade, which is often referred to as the Great Train Robbery, was sent to the Vikings for a bounty of draft picks and players. This vastly lopsided trade is universally believed to have propelled the Cowboys into their dynasty years, while the Vikings, by contrast, were mired for the same number of years in hopeless mediocrity. That's a football trade. And I don't like the Cowboys, so I wasn't happy about that. But friends, Satan is trying to get us to trade eternal life spent in an unfathomably beautiful utopia, basking in God's love and provision without any trace of sickness, pain, or infirmity, for what? The deceiver is promising us the riches and pleasures of a dying world? Currency that devalues? We're watching that happen as we speak. Fast, beautiful cars that rust and fall into disrepair? Fashionable and trendy clothing that fades and tears? Pleasures that are fleeting at best and addictive and damaging at worst? Cosmetic, oh, this one gets me, Cosmetic surgical enhancements performed on bodies 
soon to be returning to the dust from which they were created. And many in this world are, are saying, yeah, where do I sign? Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll sign up for that. Read what the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 51, verse 6. Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Look at the earth beneath. The heavens will vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment. And its inhabitants die like flies. But my salvation will last forever. My righteousness will never fail. Friends, we need to be aware that the brainwashing is subtle and the Kool-Aid that we are being asked to imbibe appears both delicious and quenching. It took the wisest man in the whole world a lifetime to discover that the gratification of this world, in spite of its initial lure, is ultimately what? Meaningless. Meaningless. Read about that in Ecclesiastes. We should echo the prayer of the psalmist in Psalms 119.36. Give me an eagerness for your laws rather than a love for money. Turn my eyes from worthless things and give me life through your word. I don't know. When's the last time you prayed for a eagerness for God's laws? I haven't done that lately. We pray for things. We pray for stuff. Most of our prayers are about stuff. If you're sitting there wondering why the conference director of stewardship has been talking about treasure maps instead of appealing for sacrificial giving, well, here's the reason. God doesn't want your wallet. I'm going to say it again. God doesn't want your wallet. He wants your heart. He knows that X marks the spot. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be too. Our God can do anything, right? We say that all the time. Our God can do anything. But there's some things he don't do. He, he won't do. And one of the things he won't do is he won't make anyone love him. He won't make you give him your heart. Look, he could easily place a special stewardship chip in your brain. Okay? And every time there was an offering appeal, your hand would just automatically go into your purse or go into your wallet. He could do that because he can do anything. But he won't do that because he wants you to give your heart. And by the way, stewardship does not, it's not just money, okay? It's talent. It's time. It's love. That's, we're asked to be stewards of all of those things because God gave them all to us. And we are holding them in trust for him. So just remember, Heart equals treasure. Treasure equals heart. X marks the spot. Jesus, when he was on this earth, was a revolutionary. You know, he really was. He methodically attacked the deeply rooted religious misconceptions with the same passion that he lovingly healed the sick. Would you expect any different now? Doesn't it make sense that he would take aim at this current epidemic of materialism? Of course it does. Wouldn't he still be trying to teach and promote the heavenly value system as opposed to the counterfeit system of the dying world? The kingdom of heaven isn't built on the gold standard. It's built on the love standard. I'm going to ask for your indulgence again as I read for you a poem that I wrote a few years ago. It's called Heaven's Gold. 
Since time began in human hearts was born a frightful greed, which flourished and developed there till want determined a need. And wars were waged and blood was spilled and lives were bought and sold, while people failed to realize that love is heaven's gold. Image, now the holy grail, is modern man's crusade. We battle in Armani suits for things that rust and fade. Still, where we live and how we dress is what we are, we're told. Our money's in the wrong account, for love is heaven's gold. And sadly, most are still consumed with legacies of wealth while sacrificing all that counts, relationships and health. Off death has come with treasures clutched in hands now stiff and cold, just wasted life without the truth that love is heaven's gold. The age-old quest continues, yet while earthly riches pale and mortal efforts to succeed are soon ordained to fail, how blessed those few enlightened ones who in their hearts now hold that treasure without price or peer, for love is heaven's gold. I admit that it's been kind of fun using a little creative license this morning as we've talked about treasure hunts with the whole Pirates of the Caribbean imagery. But I'm sure that you understand. Now let me, let me say this a different way. I hope that you understand that the stark reality of this issue is not about a ride at Disneyland. Anything resembling fun and games. The stakes couldn't possibly be higher. We're talking about eternal life versus eternal non-existence. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And I'm going to sing one more song, um, which is called Always Before Me. And I want this to be our prayer. And then we'll sing together, I'd Rather Have Jesus, okay? Set you, Lord, always before me to love and adore. Lord, may all else be consumed in the view, and may it be you alone that I. See as I set you always before me, always before me. I set you, Lord, always before me to love and And may it be 
distracted, so distracted by this earth, by its phony pleasures and its stuff. And Lord, I don't think we're strong enough to fight against that without you. So we ask for your Holy Spirit to just change us, change what we value. And Lord, please help us to keep our eyes fixed on you so that we will be standing there one day just knowing that we've waited for this Jesus and he's coming back to get us. That is our prayer. In your holy name.